This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. In the last service, I said something real quick about the Bible, so I want to say it this time. I absolutely love the Bible. I love the Word of God. It has changed my life. About seven or eight years ago, before seven or eight years ago, I lived as a Sunday Christian. Honestly, that's just, I don't know how else to explain it. I came on Sunday to get what I needed, and the rest of the week was living off of that. About seven years ago, God challenged me to read the word for me, like hear him speak to me. And I started to, and I've been living that way ever since, because you'll never stop once you get it, because that's how you get the fruits of the Spirit. It completely will change your life. Trust me. Trust the word. So Matthew 10, 5. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. <clears throat> if it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take, take back the blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth. The wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise, if you will. You may be seated. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. We're, Robin and I are glad that you're here. She's out of town today, so keep her in your prayers as they travel home. I would appreciate that. We've been 12 weeks on this topic trying to determine the things that Jesus said and make them real to us. Uh, this ends today, and next week on Easter, I'm picking up Conspiracy in Christianity. And we're going to look at that uh, in an in-depth way. But today I've been praying of what, what could we say. I laughed with Robin and said I could probably do this topic the rest of my life because Jesus' words were life. And it's so easy just every week to pick something and say let's talk about this. But I, I really tried to be thoughtful today that what I would share would land the plane pretty well. And I hope challenge you really well. Here's the thought for the day. What you think about Jesus, who he is, what he says matters greatly. And if it's going to continue to matter, we're obligated to disciple the next generation. I was talking with Ryan, who is our B student pastor here. And he and I were chatting last week. And I said, I really have this, uh, I guess the best word I could put would be a concern in my heart that we're losing as Christians that the culture of the world seems to be taking over the way Christians think. And I said it, I told him, I said, unless things change within the next 10 years, what we think church is and Christians is, it will be a far cry from what it is today. And I said to him, I feel like we're losing. And so, and I say that very thoughtfully. I don't say it from a discourage, I wasn't discouraged, I was just trying to be 
as real and factual as I could. And by losing, I mean that the conversations I'm having with young people today, the conversations of my own daughter who's still in high school that she's having and come home and shares with me. Uh, in our own youth group here, we have kids that struggle with their sexual identity. Some kids that struggle with being lesbian. Some that struggle toward homosexual tendencies. Some that struggle to believe God is real. And some that are very excited He is real. But that's within our own camp, our own family. So we cannot just deny that many parents are up against a generation of culture that is just bombarding us day in and day out. And then long gone are the thought that if you send your child to Ryan every week, that Ryan is going to disciple your child to Jesus. It's crazy and it'll never happen. Never. I wish that youth pastors and pastors could work, but they don't. It's going to take a major change, which is what I said to Ryan. I said, if things don't change, we lose. And I don't like being on a losing team, I like winning. And what I mean by that is I don't think Christianity stops because every generation the church is powerful. But I mean that we will begin to lose a generation to Jesus Christ who will no longer serve Him just because we're being naive about what we face. And what I would like to share with you today is something that I pray will break the naivety and will open our eyes. Let's jump into it. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Even Jesus himself admits that Christian followers, those, those that follow Jesus, it's not always going to be rosy. You're going to find yourself up against people that don't believe like you believe and don't think like you believe and they don't want to think like you believe. He says it in such a way that it'll literally be like throwing a sheep in the middle of a wolf pack. If you've ever watched any YouTube videos about animals, the sheep almost lose every single time. And that's what I meant when I told Ryan, I don't feel like we're doing a good job. We're turning more into wolves or we're either afraid of the wolves and we just sit very passive as Christians. But Jesus assumes, he says this, he said, but I don't want you to shy away. I don't want you to stay in your prayer closet and think that if you stay in your prayer closet, you can change something. You're going to have to get out in the middle of the culture. You're going to have to get out in the middle of where people live. And you're going to have to live in such a way that, and this is what I put, Live in such a way that even though he says, beware, there's all kind of stuff out there. Who would have ever thought five years ago we would be having the conversations we have today? I, I was probably okay with this until about a year ago when I started feeling like every day culture shoving their garbage down my throat wanting me to accept it as fact and normal. I was okay I mean, I have my beliefs of homosexuality and lesbianism. I feel like I can debate what the Bible teaches. I, I understood that how a guy can like a guy. We're humans, right? We have emotions. A guy falls in love with another guy. A girl falls in love with another girl. I understand that. It's not like I'm going, that's stupid. I mean, I get it. We're humans. We want love. We want affection. We want relationships. So whether the Bible teaches it's wrong or not, we, we just have to admit culture went that way. And culture went to where it's very acceptable today. And, you know, we try to navigate that. My daughter's in high school. She knows kids that are bi, kids that are, uh, you know, homosexual, kids that are lesbians. And I'm thinking, dear God, when I was in the 10th grade, I was picking my nose. I mean, that, that's a worse sin. I got a hickey on my neck. That was the worst sin is a hickey. I long for those days. Not like a hickey. I mean, I'd take one. I'm married, but... It's been a long time since I've had one of those because I've had kids. Now that I'm thinking about it, let's just end. I'm going home. My wife's been gone all week, and I'm kind of like a hickey right now. But the reality, the reality is what, what we dealt with years ago is just different. Because what started happening about a year ago is guys want to be turn into girls now. And girls want to turn into guys. And I'm watching this, and I'm... Literally in my own home, I'm not, even, I'm not even connecting Jesus yet. I'm just watching culture, and I'm like, what in God's name? I remember when Caitlin Bruce turned into Caitlin, and I'm watching him. And I thought, that was a handsome fella. He won all those gold medals. Man, he's an ugly woman. Jeez. Like he went, handsome guy, ugly woman. What in God's name was he? 
But I watched it. I watched all the documentaries about him. I watched all the stuff where he's transitioning and he's talking about his journey. And I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm watching it. What I'm thinking, this is just me. I, he did what he did. Okay. But me, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I can understand a woman wanting to become a man. We're simple. We like sex, we like food, we like money. That's it. You're welcome, ladies. There ain't much else we need. We don't need much communication. We don't need much, just, just those three things. So I can see how a woman would want to turn into that. Life gets real simple. You don't really even have to bathe. You don't even have to shave if you don't want to shave. You can have hair under your armpits, you're fine. You can have hairy legs, it's good, you're a man now. But I cannot for the life of me, I live with five women. I cannot for the life of me. I have never sat there watching Andy Griffith thinking, I'd like to be a woman. <laughs> never. I've never thought I'd like to just cry at the drop of a hat. I'd like to just get emotional about everything. I'd like to not be able to make my mind up constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I try to really watch all this in front of me play out And I try to go, I expect it, it's the world, right? The, they don't know God, they're going to do what they do So I'm good with it, like, that's what the world does I do what I do, they do what they do But it intrigued me to like, okay, that's, that's different I, I don't get it, but, but, but it didn't stop at Caitlin or Bruce Wherever you fall it started just being shoved down my throat and I got irritated because I, I got tired of every dad blame day you're throwing sexuality down my throat demanding that I think like you, reason like you and if I don't, you cancel me, you call me bigot, you call me homophobe because I don't think the way you think which is cool the world shouldn't think like I think and I shouldn't think like they think but stop shoving it down my throat making me have to think the way you think alright so so in that I'm watching it play out and so I'm like I like to feel like if I sit and have chats with people that I'm smart enough to chat it out without just screaming so I do a lot of digging and research and so I started looking at transgenders and 1.4 million people are trans today. So our nation has 329 million people and 1.4 million say I'm trans. That's 0.7. That's not even 1% of our population claims to be trans. But because I'm on social media and watch the news, you would think 98% of America is trans. It's like, my God, we're passing laws for trans people. Everybody's talking trans now. And, everybody, and now we're putting it into schools so that we can teach our little kindergarten and our first graders what it means to have your sexual identity. And now we're literally arguing over whether or not a first grader can be taught by a teacher of their sexual identity and their sexual preferences and how to masturbate and how to touch themselves. And I'm thinking, these are first graders. And yet, it's in our, getting in our curriculum, and now the whole don't say gay because some DeSantis said, I don't want you doing that with my first through fourth graders. And I'm just watching all this like, my God. Like the worst thing I had when I was in school was somebody stole my homework. <laughs> and now I got kids, we're teaching them how to touch themselves. And, and, and we're quitting because I can't stand in front of a child and tell, as a teacher, tell that child my sexual preferences. You don't want me to do that, so I'm going to resign teaching. And I'm thinking as a parent, I'm not sending my kid to determine by you whether they should be gay, trans, homo, or straight. I'm sending them to learn dad blame math, stay out of my family. You know, that's, that's kind of how I feel. But what can one do do? Like I, I'm not making much difference, but th this has been my last year of my life. And so I came to the thought of if I'm going out, I'm going out swinging. Right. 
I'm going out swinging for the fences. I'm not apologizing to a person. I'm not going to apologize for what I believe. If it hurts your feelings, grow up. You don't care if you hurt my feelings, so I'm going to give you what I got right back. You're going to throw a ball at me. I'm going to catch it and throw it right back. I'm good with that. Call me whatever you want to call me. Call me a homophobe. I don't care. I'll go eat with gay people. I'll go eat with straight people because I like Mexican food. I'll even eat with a trans person. But I don't mind sitting down telling them how I feel and what I think God thinks and giving my opinion because you're going to shove yours down my throat all the time anyway. So I came to that conclusion, and if the, the seven of you that follow me on social media, <laughs> I, it's not like I'm an influencer here, I, um, I, I try to use that phrase a lot to swing for the fences. But look at what Jesus said. He said, you're going to be in the middle of a culture. You need to beware, but you need to know it's not a time to shrink back. It's an opportunity. And we can either look at this as, oh my God, what's going on? Or we can look at it as, oh my God, I have an opportunity. God has put me in the middle of this God-forsaken culture, and I can do something about it. So that's what I want to talk to you about, but we're going to dig a rabbit hole, and I hope you're blessed by it. Let's look at this thought. I won't belabor this. I've already mentioned it, but it's there. We must beware of the opportunities in front of us, because if things don't change, the next generation won't follow Jesus. I don't mean that there won't be Christians. I use the word generation very thoughtfully here. I mean, our nation at one time was pretty much a Christianized nation. Especially in the deep south, everybody went to church. There's church on every corner. But even today in 2022, in the deep Bible Belt south, we're, we're more of a belt than Bible. Like we're losing a generation of people. They still talk about Jesus. They still know about Jesus, but they don't follow Him. Because we will lose if things don't change. And what I've been praying is that God would give me as a shepherd of this house the wisdom to know how to change so that we don't shrink back in this generation, but we go forward with power. I don't know if I have all the answers, but I'm definitely asking God for them. So let's jump into this as we land the plane today. Matthew 10, this is what Kellen read. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake the dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, and this is what jumped out at me last week, and I've not been able to get my mind off of it, and this is what I want to teach you today. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the day of judgment. And when I read that, it just casually reads, but if you really think it through, something weird has happened in this sentence. Jesus is giving an object lesson for his present cultural moment. But to give that object lesson, he reaches 1,650 years to the past and grabs a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're a Christian, you probably know it. Fire comes down, burns everybody up, and we use it as the primary reference to tell people not to be gay. That's not even my point today. Uh, I think it can be way out of context. My point today is that Jesus, in his present moment, reached 1,650 years back to a story, brought that story into his present moment as an object lesson. I'm good with that. That's what we do. We take historical examples and try to apply them to today to live better. But he does something strange. He takes the historical story for the object lesson of the present, and then he shoots it into the future and says this same city that is an object lesson today for the culture I live in is such a powerful story that it will maintain an eternal object lesson for all the generations to come. So it's not just a historical story. It is a prophetic lesson for every generation that lives until Jesus returns. And that really captured my thinking. Like, the story of Sodom is not just a devotional story. It is a prophetic lesson for every generation to learn something from it. So here was the question I went to. What is the correlation of Sodom? So now we're probably 4,000 years past the moment. With our present culture and modern day Christianity. So I did, I just went there. I went to Genesis and I started looking through the story, reading the story. I already knew it, but I just 
started digging it out, trying to think it through, like, okay, God, this is to be an object lesson. I would like to share with you what I think the object lesson that Jesus chose about Sodom, how it applies to 2022, and I hope it opens your heart and mind. Let's look at it. This is Genesis 19. The story goes that there's a guy named Lot that has a wife and two two daughters, And Lot, according to the New Testament, is a righteous guy. However, Lot lives in a God-forsaken city. It is super wicked. So think Atlanta. (laughs) Uh, Let's let's go worse. Think, Think L.A., Los Angeles. I mean, it is the most wicked city of his day. But he's a, quote, godly man. He's got his wife there, which is strange. He's got his children in the middle of the ungodliness. And he's established a life there. So we pick up the story here. Dad, wife, mom, two daughters, wicked town, godly family. Let's see what we can learn for our culture. That evening, the two, go back. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. So two angels show up. That's interesting. And Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. He welcomed them and bowed his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my house to wash your feet and be my guests for the night. So very religious. Come on, presence of God in my home. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him, and Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh braid, fresh braid, fresh braid made, fresh braid made. Let's get him. I'm gonna wind myself up. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him, and Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast. Come on, somebody, biscuits, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, every man, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house and shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so we can eat biscuits with them. Bring them out so we can have sex with them. In all my years of living, I could not imagine I live in a subdivision where all the men in the subdivision are on my front lawn. Hey, preacher, bring it on out here so we can all have sex with them. Now, I give you two or three men perverted. I give you a couple of young guys that are high on testosterone. The whole dad blame city Show up on the front lawn. Listen, we've had good sex before. We've never had angel sex. Bring them out here. We're going to try this. We want to just rape them all night long. All us men want to have sex with these dudes. Bring them out. So that is the story. And righteous Lot is in his house and the entire city. I don't know. I would think at least 300 fellas. Entire city. Sitting on a front lawn, screaming, I want to have sex with those two men. If they came to my house, all I got is a pellet rifle. It'd be like, hick it, hick it, hick it. My, my comment is somebody's probably getting raped because I can't help you. I mean, I'm like, hey, there's too many of them run for your life. But Lot, it gets interesting, it gets worse. This is what he says. So Lot stepped out to talk with them and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to do with them as you wish. What in God's name? This is what I did last week. What in God's name did I just read? That's in the Bible? Like this righteous man 
is in a home with about 300 men. Bring them angels out here so we can have sex with them. And the wife. I don't know why the Bible does not tell us what all the women said. <laughs> Here's my thinking. If God would have ever let the women comment, the Bible would have been 300 books long. <laughs> I only speculate that she said something because I've been married 33 years. If I was in there watching Andy Griffith and 300 men show up, they ought to have sex with your house. And I would have said, honey, um, you know how we worship every night. And these men of God come and you make that chicken and taters and we feed them and we worship together. Well, there are some fellas outside who want to have sex with them, about 300 of them. But I told them, no, they can have our girls. I wouldn't be here preaching today. I would not be here. I would be dead, chopped up. The very fact that I as a husband would even think to offer my children up for these men to rape them all night long instead of giving the angels. Because here's what Robin would have said. What? They're angels. They can take care of themselves. <laughs> I know we call our daughters angels, but they're not real angels. And you brought these dad blame angels into our home. They even offered to sleep out there. Send them out. Our kids aren't coming out. Not lot. Not Lot, he's only as stupid as a man can be. He walks out the door. Here's to show you the perversion. Hey, my brothers. You just called them your brothers? You've been so perverted yourself that the men that want to have sex with your daughters are now your brothers? So let me get this right. In the home, you're religious. In the home, you're baking bread for angels. But the reality is you're still so much friends with the world that they've showed up on your doorstep to invade the very worship that you're doing. And you're so religious that you would rather entertain an angel than protect your children. So that's how religious you are. You're so religious that you would rather defend the honor of God than to stand at the doorway and say, Hell no, nobody's getting my kids. Excuse me, I didn't mean to go there. Come out. You're not getting my children. But yet we have people today that think they have to defend the ego of God and they're all spiritual because they go to church and they take communion and they listen to Christian music and they read their Bible every day. But the reality is on the front porch of their house, the world is screaming to have your children and we think because we're religious we're okay and the world just takes our kids away from us. And listen to what he says, but please leave these men alone for they're my guests and they're under my protection. So your children aren't? You literally think you have to protect God? You have to protect your children, Lot. You literally think, men, that your job on earth is to go get a job so you can provide? No, your job is to protect your home. Not to just be religious. And we got a bunch of religious people, but we're losing our home. Our children don't even want to serve the Lord we serve. Our kids can't even identify with the God we talk about. So here we sit. It gets worse. Listen to this verse. Stand back, they shouted. This fella came to town as an outsider. You see, here's what's weird. Lot calls them brother. They call him outsider. Because what it tells me is Christian people want to identify with the world, but one thing about the world, they'll never let you come in if you're a Christian. We'll let them in the house because we're brothers. We don't want to offend anybody. They don't care if they offend you. You call them brother, well, I don't want to say anything hurtful. They don't care. You're an outsider. And this is the problem today. The problem today is religious people are just sitting there taking one on the team for the team. Slap me. I don't ever want to say anything. I don't ever want to upset anybody. I don't want to get canceled. I mean, I'm just going to be real quiet and sit here and have bread with the angels and have my little Holy Ghost moment with the angels because I don't want to stand on the front porch and go, no, get out of here. Bye. You're perverted. 
But they don't mind telling you that you're a homophobe, bigot, racist, whatever they label you with because you don't believe what they believe. You see, Christians don't mind giving a little, but the world, you either believe like them or you're done. And this is what's going on. So they decide we'll just break down the door, verse 9, in the green, verse 10. The two angels reached out, proving God doesn't need help. Pulled Lot into the house and bolted the door, then blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door. And they finally gave up trying to get inside. And it's to this pink that I want to talk about. That I believe the story of Lot to us today, the story of Sodom, is that the world is on the front step of our home trying to get inside. Here's the thought. Meanwhile, the angels question Lot, do you have any other relatives? Meaning not just you, everybody connected to you. Get them out of this place, sons and daughters and anyone else. And here's the thought. The perversion of our culture is on the doorstep of every home today. And parents are foolishly given access to the demands of the perversion. The conversations we're having with kids today would blow your mind. The conversations that I have with my daughter in the 10th grade blows my mind. That she knows bi's and trans and, and homosexuals and lesbians and uh, people that just... And I'm like, this is 10th grade. Oh, jeez. How, how difficult to watch her try to navigate what she believes, but she's in the middle of a culture. She's a sheep in the middle of the world, in the wolves. To watch her navigating what we believe about Jesus versus what the world tells me I'm to believe. Who would have ever thought we would be arguing over what a male and a female is? Who would have ever thought on national TV we would actually say, I don't really know what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. I'm like, me either, but I live with five of them. Come here and you'll know. I can tell you real quick, just live with them. You'll know real quick the difference. But we just accept it as, oh, we don't offend anybody. We don't want anybody to go. And I'm like, where, where are we going? Where's our culture going? And I'll tell you where they're going. They're going the exact opposite way of God, but they're not going alone. They're on our front door trying to get in. And they want your children, and they want your family. Here's the thought. Progressive leftist culture is working overtime. I chose the word in green very carefully to disciple your kids. Jesus himself will say the only way Christianity goes forward is you must disciple one another. And the world has grabbed this thought. Now they don't use the word disciple. They use the word market. They market you very well. I use the word disciple, but they market you very well. They want your child to believe exactly what they believe. And they do it very, very sheepishly, but very professionally. I mean, it's marketing if you ever get a degree in it. It's brilliantly done. Brilliantly done. So I, I label some stats to just kind of show you what I'm talking about. 60% of parents, 66% of parents say parenting is harder today than 20 years ago. Come on, parents. I'd like to meet the 4% who 40% said it wasn't. 87%, eight, that's nearly 9 kids out of 10 have an iPhone. I didn't put the other stat up here. 88% of the ones that don't, that means the other 8 out of 10 who don't want one. Why would we care? Why do kids want a mobile phone? Non-school related screen time on your child's phone, I did this for teenagers, is an average of 7.7 .7 hours a day. Now if your kid comes to Believer's Church and goes on Sunday morning, they go downstairs there with Ryan and his team for about an hour. If they come on Wednesday and they go down with Ryan and his team, they're there for about an hour. So that's about two hours a week if your child came every week. Sunday and Wednesday. That means with Ryan teaching them the Bible, uh, that would be two hours a week. Let's take away fun and games. Let's take away all the stuff we do. It, just Bible teaching, if they came twice, would get about an hour. With Ryan or their team being taught things of Jesus. If they came every time, that would be 52 hours in one year. 
52 hours in one year they spend with somebody trying to tell them and connect them to the Jesus in their culture. That's, that's two days. Two days of 365 days are spent with God. However, statistically, nearly eight hours a day are spent on just screen and outs alone. Every single day. Everywhere they go. 46% of those teens say, I'm never off of it, I'm on constantly. If, if, you, if you don't know the power of it, just take one of them out. And just go sit with them. I'm like, honey, what are you doing? I'm just talking to her friend. Like y'all aren't even talking, you're just clicking. That dad, it's snap. Okay, so... What are, you, what are you saying to each other? Nothing. We're just sending pictures. But what do the pictures say? I mean, I'm like, I'm literally trying to understand this. And it's just... <laughs> over and over. I'm like, my God, you hadn't changed that much in five minutes. <laughs> right? It's funny. I get it. It's their generation. I'm not mad at it. I just watch it and laugh. But lately, the most used app is TikTok. It is the one that is most used all, and it has an average, just the app alone, if it's on your kids, I guess you could check their own time, is 105 minutes a day. So an, at least an hour and a half a day just watching TikToks, making TikToks. 70% of the teens who use social media report that it impacts their emotional well-being, meaning they don't feel good about themselves. They're comparing themselves constantly. 43% of those feel bad if they don't get enough likes. I've seen this play out. They take a beautiful picture, they post it, and it's like, well, why'd you delete that? Well, that's, I didn't get enough likes. Or, you don't need to post it at this time, you need to post it this time, because you post it this time, you get more likes. Because if it goes out right here between this hour, this hour, and this hour, you get more likes on it. I'm like, who cares? But they do. It doesn't mean that there's nothing about this that I'm telling you is unevil. I'm not going to come and tell you to delete TikTok or don't let your kids get on Instagram. They're your children. They're just stats that are taking you to what I think is really happening. 42% say that social media has taken personal time away from their friends and families. They're on their phone more than they are with each other. 65% of parents are worried that their kids are bothered by it. And 56%, that's half of all the parents, spend too much time on their phone. They're addicted to it themselves. But that's not what I want to talk about. Those are just stats of what's happening to your generation and my generation and culture. Here's what I want to talk about. The average number of ads that are viewed per day via social media and marketing strategies is between 6,000 and 10,000 ads every day. It's mind-blowing. But, and by ads, I mean... Google has ads, Facebook has ads, YouTube has ads, TikTok has ads, Instagram has ads, Snaps has ads. Every app and game you buy has ads unless you pay more, then you don't have to get ads, but they're there. It's beautiful. I mean, if you're talking business, it is a business model that is brilliant. And it's, I'm not even saying it's demonic. It's just the world has grabbed a hold of something that if we want to shift the way people think, we want to shift the way they work, let's bombard them every day with ads, nearly 10,000 a day, billboards when you ride by, things that are on your phone, the clothes you need to buy, and they're marketing it brilliant. You don't have to go find a Sears catalog, it finds you. The other day I was talking with Phil, we were in the office, I said, you want me to blow your mind? Because something had bothered me, me and Robin were chatting and because I live with all girls, and I made the comment of panties and lingerie to her. And so we were just chatting about that on one of our date nights. And the next day I wake up and I'm scrolling Instagram. I'm like, God, what are all these panty ads? I gotta... Then I was like, panty ads? I don't want, well, panties. I don't want to see panties. So I just kept on, I don't want to see panties. I mean, I'd take some underwear, but I don't want panties. I'm like, why am I, why have I got all these panty ads on my, and so I start Googling, why am I getting panty ads? Don't do that. That never shows up well. <laughs> and if anybody checks my research and you see on my history, why do people search for panties? Don't think I'm perverted. Just think, don't worry, he lives with all women. So 
So I'm like, why, why I keep getting panty ads on my Instagram? And then it told me why. You know, gives you all the reason Instagram is trying to market to you the things to make your life easier. And I'm like, okay, I get that, but how, did, how would they send me that? So I start researching more. And then I find out that my microphone is on and they're listening to me, which is cool. I like that some because it does make life easier. If I need tennis shoes, I need tennis. I need a new guitar. I need, I need a new guitar. Okay. So I'll probably get some guitar ads and I'll be able to go through them. So... So I went to Phil and I said, dude, do you know how much we're being bombarded by culture? I said, culture just is bombarded. I want to look this way, be this way, think this way, act this way, look this way, be this way, think this way, act this way, every single day. Nonstop. So I said, I'm going to try something. We're sitting in my dad's office. I said, I'm going to try something. Took out my phone. was holding my phone. I said, hey, Phil. I said, I'm thinking about starting an organic pot farm and growing marijuana to make money. I thought I'm a preacher. There's no way they could send me pot ads. Might come in handy sometime. But how long, Phil, before... Less than one minute. One minute. I pull up my Instagram and say, watch this. I scrolled one time, and there was an ad of how to start growing your own organic pot farm. Well, I guess Jesus wants us to use our 10 acres. (laughs) That doesn't bother me at all. I'm not here to talk about conspiracies. I already know that's how they market. That's how they get it. But I did want you to know they're listening for a reason because they want to market to you because if they can market to you, they can shift how you think and it's how you think, what you see, what you feel and who you are over and over and over. I want to look this way, think this way, act this way, be this way, look this way, think this way, act this way, be this way. Honey, we got to go to church all the way to church. Look this way, act this way, be this way, think this way. Then you got to go down to the junior high and in the junior high, it's sitting there, it's look this way, act this way. Listen to me. Okay, sorry. Okay, yep, yep, okay. Look this way, act this way, be this way, look this way. Ah, put your phones away. Okay, all right. Okay, we're done. Okay, look this way, act this way, be this way, think this way, look this way, act this way. Put your phone away, it's dinner. Oh, mom, come on. Just I want you to just eat and leave your phone. Okay. Eight <gasps> mm, corn dogs. Look this way, think this way, act this way, eat this way, eat corn dogs, eat corn dogs, eat corn dogs. Look this way, think this way, act this way. Every single day. It's purposeful. It's the culture on the front doorstep. It's not perverted men screaming into your home. It's the world of our culture inside your house with your children and you over and over with the voice of culture. Look this way. Think this way. Act this way. Be this way. Look this way. Think this way. Act this way. And we're their friends. We're like, yes, I'll look this way. Yes, I'll act this way. Yes, because you're my brother. I want to be this. I want to be accepted. And so at the end of the day, here's the problem. I'll end here. One thing is certain, culture is discipling your children. But if we don't disciple them for Jesus, it's highly likely they won't even follow Him in the future. So here's what I'd like to end with. It's the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus called out and said, Follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. I want to take a few moments if you'll be so kind because I didn't want to just talk about social media you do what you want all the apps do what you want they're your kids and and it's our world it's just the world we live in but I I don't want to challenge you with you better police TikTok and all of that those are your own family rules I want to leave you with a thought that I think what's missing is we don't disciple our children well Jesus said follow me and so I'll tell you this, mom and dad, if he's not real to you, he won't be real to them. You can drag them to church all day long. But if they see you, dad, screaming at mom, cussing, slamming doors, it doesn't matter how much you quote scripture to them, how much you tell them to read their Bible, how much you try to prophesy over them, when they watch how you act and they watch how you live and they watch how you deal with life, they are connecting watch, live, be, and do back to you say you belong to Jesus and I don't see the congruency of the two. You are going to be the first 
God they know, mom and dad. When you're raising a little baby, they're going to be the first connection to the reality of who God is. Long before they know Him personally, long before they know His name is Jesus, they get their first inference of the reality of Jesus by watching us live it out. It has to be real. I, I had Sophia come over to the house yesterday and we were visiting. And I, I, I don't pretend that I'm a great father. I, I've tried. I'll leave it at that. I've tried to be a good dad and a good husband. But I didn't go do Bible studies with them. I, I sometimes policed what they watched, you know, on TV. And, and, but every night I asked her, I said, why is it that you serve the Lord today? All my girls have followed Jesus. All my girls love local church. All my girls read their Bibles. I never told them to. I would always tell them growing up, I'm going to live what I believe, and I hope that I make you jealous enough that what I believe about God makes you want God. Somebody told me in 1989, they said your job, and I was in my 20s, they said your job as a parent is to lead your children to Jesus and make them jealous enough that when it comes time for them to choose, they'll choose the Jesus you chose. And I started out before I ever have a kid thinking, God, i got to live in such a way that I make my children jealous to want Him. And so I guess I, I don't really recall that I sat down and had devotions with you girls. I didn't sit down and tell them Bible stories. I would go up to their room every night and I would pray over them and I would sing dorky songs. Really, not even Christian, just stupid ones I made up. And then I would pray a blessing over them. So I asked Sophia, I said, why is it that you follow God? What did you see in your dad? I said, because I'm going to preach tomorrow and I don't want to make stuff up. I would like you to tell me what you saw. And she said, Dad, the only thing I can say is you just made it really real for us. She said, you lived what you told us. And we watched you live it out. And I thought about it and I thought, well, I guess that's true. I said, because I love their mother like no other. I, I gave my heart for their mom. I loved God. I read my Bible every night. I didn't tell them to read their Bible. I just read mine. I didn't say, no, you better read your Bible. The devil's going to get you. You better know some scripture. I wasn't worried about them. I, I was protecting my own home. by I just would spend time with God and read my Bible. So they'd come in my room and see Dad reading their Bible. Now all of my girls read their Bible every single day. Why? Because there's power when you model it versus bark orders. You just need to go to church. You just need to put your phone down and go read your Bible. You need to go to your room. You just need to get closer to God. They don't need that out of you. What they need out of you is let me see you live it. Let me watch you treat mom the way the Bible says. Let me watch you rather than whine about money. Show me how you trust God with your money. Let me see it in you. I go back to look at my own childhood and my mother and father were the same way. My dad lived the reality of Jesus. It wasn't a Sunday morning message. It was all the time. He would pray over the dishwasher if it was broken. He would pray over the toilet if it was stopped up. If the dog was sick, he would anoint the dog with oil, which was strange as a kid. But what I got out of my father is not a man just barking King James orders at me that I needed to repent, but the reality of Jesus in his everyday life made me go, there must be something real, because if it's that real to him, he knows something. I, I want that kind of real God. And it made me jealous. His life made me jealous to know the God he knows. And I've even gone to him in my 50s and said, Dad, I feel like I still don't know him the way you do. You have such a faith in the Father. But it made me jealous. And I tried my best to make my daughters jealous. I wanted them to say, Dad, the Jesus you know, I want to know that Jesus. And, and it's not that I haven't had my issues and... I wrote this down, the next one. It's a thought. I've just given you what I tried. You need to share with your kids your successes, your struggles, and even your failures so they can see how to trust, how you trusted Jesus. And yet, so many times we just bark orders at them. 
Well, you just need to, and you ought to, and you should, and you better hand me that phone. Go to your room. Get up there. And it's like, okay, Dad, all you're doing is just picking on their failures and that they can't get through math and that they're disappointing and that they're in trouble. But if you ever sat down with them and said, let me tell you when I flunked biology what I did. Let me tell you how when I was tempted with girls, what I did. Let me tell you that when your father and I were dating, how we didn't have sex or how we worked through it. So that they begin to understand that Jesus is more than a historical figure. He literally has changed your home. And he's real. But if he's not real to you, mom and dad, then it's going to be a joke when they, you deposit him at the feet of Jesus and they go... Yeah, I didn't see any difference in them with you, so. So mom and dad, when you deposit them at the feet of Jesus when they're 18, when they go out of your house, is the Jesus you know going to make them jealous or they're going to be like, dude, I'm out of church, dude. Man, I mean, I love God, but I ain't going to church. I watched what it did. I love God, but I ain't doing that. I watched what it did to my, phew, no. So you have to check yourself. Do you have a relationship, mom and dad, with Jesus? Or is he just a devotion? Is he just to get me out of this hole? Is he just a four-leaf clover? Or is he really real? Is he just a genie to you that answers prayers when you have needs? Or is he part of every single waking moment of your day? The final thing is this. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you. I wrote this down. If you spend more time, parents making something of yourself than making something of your kids is a guarantee the culture will make them. Now, I'm not here to talk about parenting I, because you can be a good parent but not disciple your children. A good parent goes to the ball games. A good parent goes to soccer. A good parent goes to cheer. A good parent goes to gym. Ugh. A good parent goes to Six Flags. A good parent teaches them to the beach. A good parent makes food for them. A good parent helps them with physics. I'm not talking about being a good parent. A good parent is involved in their life. A good parent listens to them. A good parent spends time with them, picks them up from school, takes them to all their sports. As Robin said so conveniently when Stella turned 16, I feel lost. I say, how in God's name could you feel lost? Our last kid is driving a car. We're free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. She said, I just feel lost. I, for 28 years, I've been a taxi and an Uber and a go here and a go there. And now she just calls me and says, Mom, I'm going here. And I just sit at home when I don't know what to do. I say, I know what to do. But a lot of times parents think because they're at the football game, they're at the baseball game, they're at the soccer game that they're discipling their kids, but they're not. You're just a good parent. There's a difference in a good parent and a parent who disciples their child for Jesus. Because a good parent will be, we're having dinner with angels, but there's a bunch of garbage and I'm offering you up to the garbage on the front porch as long as you'll have dinner with these angels. You can just go out and do what you want with the world. That's a good parent. But a discipling parent is the doors are locked and I'm protecting my family from the ways of the world. Because if you don't do it, if you don't take them to Jesus, if you don't teach them how to apply Jesus to their problems, how Jesus fits with their sexuality, how does Jesus fit with the boy they want to date, how does Jesus fit with that they want to have sex before marriage, how does Jesus fit if they've lost their virginity, how does Jesus fit if my boy suddenly tells me he's gay, how does Jesus fit if my daughter tells me she's a lesbian, how does Jesus fit if they don't want to read their Bible, how does Jesus fit if they think Jesus is a joke, how does Jesus fit if they hate church, rather than just, you're going to church, put your phone down, I and so it becomes an opportunity not to just live it, but to begin to tell them how to bring Jesus into every conversation of every choice of every life. Here's the thought. And this is hard. I, I'm not telling you how to do this, but I've tried it and it worked. You have to learn to let your children share their successes and struggles and failures with you so they find trust in you. I found years ago that most kids don't tell their parents the dirty details 
because they know they'll get in trouble. I will get grounded. You mean if I told my dad I was thinking I was gay? Oh, God, I would be grounded. I would lose every friend. I wouldn't be able to play sports. Oh, my God, if I told my dad that I looked at porn every night before I went, oh, God, they'd take my phone. I, I would be grounded for weeks on end. But they will tell their friends. They will tell anybody they trust who they want to sleep with, what they think, what they want to do, what they're thinking. But they come at home and they clam up. Why? Because they're brilliant. They don't want to expose their weaknesses when they know the only thing they're going to get back is judgment. I don't want to expose I'm struggling with something when I know I'm going to get in trouble with something. It's why Jesus can say, come to me, tell me your problems because I'm here to help you find freedom. But a lot of parents don't help us find freedom. We just get in trouble. So we're out here with a 13-year-old asking another 13-year-old what they think about gender identity because they can't ask their parent because they're too embarrassed that they'll get in trouble. I'm like, your parents should be the best place to go. to go, Dude, I'm struggling. I'll never forget when I went to my father. I mean, I, I literally watched this man play it out when I walk into his office in college and I said, Dad, I said, I'm having sex with Monica, my girlfriend, and I just need to tell you, I've tried to quit. I can't. I want to. I feel guilty every time. But before, before I had the conversation, I'll never forget, is what I said. I said, Dad, he said, yep. I said, I need to talk to you like a pastor for a minute and not like a father. In other words, I was playing my cards. I said, I need to talk to you as a pastor, not as a father. I said, what I mean is what I want to share with you. I don't want to get in trouble. I just want you to listen and help me. He said, okay. And so I told him I was having sex with my girlfriend. I could have expected I'm going to get grounded. I'm going to get in trouble. But he made a promise. He said, no, I will help you. And he did. He gave brilliant advice. It made such an impact on me that when I became a father, I thought, I want to be that way with my children. I want them to be able to come to me and tell me they're struggling. I want my daughter to be able to come and say, Dad, I've been looking at porn and I feel addicted. I want my daughter to come to me and say, Dad, I, I want you know I lost my virginity and I'm so sorry and, and this is what I want to say and I know you'll help me. But parents, your children will never come to you when they don't trust. And we'll even say, I want the best for you. Well, that's not nine weeks locked behind bars. So what I tried to tell my kids, if you'll come to me first, before I find out, it will go a lot better for you. If I find out, it's going to be ugly. But if you just tell me and you trust, well, it took Olivia and Sophia like, eh. but once Olivia and Sophia got it, they came to Victoria, Kate, and said, you need to tell Dad, trust me. You just, you just need to go, and don't go to Mama, you go straight to Dad. <laughs> Mama's a little different. You go straight to dad. You tell dad. We've already been there. Done. You mean I should tell dad? You need to tell dad. You do not want dad to find out. You just need to go. And let me tell you, I'm telling you, he hears the Holy Ghost. And if you don't tell him the Holy Ghost is going to tell him, he's going to find out you're going to be in more trouble. <laughs> I don't know, but okay. I said all that to say this. Many children love you, but they don't trust you. They love you. And by trust, I mean... They don't feel they can come and share their deepest hurts because they're afraid they're going to get disciplined and in trouble. And so therefore, instead of coming to you, it's look this way, be this way, act this way, think this way. Look this way, be this way, think this way, act this way. Look this way. What, Mom? No, I'm okay. We're okay. Look this way, think this way, act this way. We did. Oh, God, Mom, I don't know screen time. Oh, I got five more minutes of screen time. Look this way, act this way, be this way, think this way. Like we think if I kind of bring them down to screen time, look this way, think this way, act this way, be this way. But I wonder what kid has ever put down their phone and sat in front of a parent and go, Mom, I want to tell you the way I look, the way I think, the way I act, and what I've been being. And I need to put it out there to you because I need help becoming who God wants me to be because I'm losing. Because it's every single day. So I wanted to leave you with this thought. Jesus said, what? We can throw the Bible at our kids all day long. But mom and dad, if it's not real to you, and you don't start sitting them down helping to connect them with Jesus through their problems rather than just discipline them, we lose. We need you to protect your homes. Here's the conclusion. Relationship is discipleship. Shut the door and protect your kids.
I'm not telling you to cut their apps off. I'm not telling you, I mean, hopefully you're smart. Hopefully you monitor what they watch. I'm telling you your kids are dying to, to have a relationship with you. You're the best help they have going for them. Their friends are not their best help. You are. Open a door today and tell them at lunch, let me tell you something I struggled with and how I connected to Jesus. And then start the conversations of mom and dad. Let us tell you what we've struggled with in the past and how we connected to Jesus. And then kids, sit down together and say, all right, phone's out. Okay, nobody's getting grounded here. Got to be mature here. But share with me what you struggle with, and this will be a moment where we try to help you. I guarantee you anything they share, you'll be like, yeah, been there, done that, struggled with that. And you can become a help, and the devil will stop lying that you're their fear and their torment, and you'll become their help. Let me pray for you. Would you stand, if you will? I hope that helped you a little bit.